Let's go before him in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. God, I pray as we have just sung, God, that you would show us Christ. God, that your glory would be made known through the proclamation, through the preaching of your word until every heart cries out and proclaims Jesus as Lord. God, I pray and ask that you'd be with us now, God, that you'd just stir in us a love for you, a love for your gospel. God, that you would just help us to not only be hearers of your word, but also doers. God, help us to seek to apply the things that we learn this morning and always. And God, give us a thirst to not come before you just on Sunday morning, but to always constantly be seeking you through prayer and through the reading of your word. God, I just pray and ask that now that you would just open our eyes to the truth, give us ears to hear and hearts to apply. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. And as we've done so, we've seen that this book, again, this letter, was written to an area, the area of Galatia. There's a number of churches in that area and that Paul is correcting some false teaching. And I mentioned last week that in some respect, it's been the same sermon week after week after week after week. And there's differences, and yet, really Paul is underscoring the gospel. And I pray that you never get tired of hearing the gospel. And I believe that the true believers, that those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, long for the gospel. And I believe wholeheartedly that it is the key to building and growing the church, that it's not through programs or human efforts or even great leadership. Because I tell you, if it was those things, I would not be the guy to call as your pastor. I'm not a guy who's all about building big programs. I'm not a guy who's all about leadership and structure. and all. Those things are good, but you only need to have enough of that so that you can build on that with the gospel. So that you, can, you can use the, the gospel can be proclaimed and then there's some room to grow for discipleship and those things. But the real work of the ministry is in proclaiming the Word of God. And I believe that as we hear the Word of God and as we hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that our hearts are stirred and that it causes us to live for Him, for His glory. So Paul has been correcting some false teaching that has crept into these churches, whereby they were thinking that somehow they could by their own human effort please God. And he says, no, that is not at all what the Gospel is. The Gospel is about the fact that you can't keep the law, you cannot please God in and of yourselves, that instead you're all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Jesus died for you. Jesus' death is sufficient. That He is the one who took the penalty for your sin, and that He was raised on that third day, defeating sin and death so that you might be saved. Don't add to that, is what Paul says. For when you add to that, it no longer is the Gospel. That the Gospel is not Jesus plus your good works, but instead Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. However, we've seen as we, as we got into chapter 5, especially really throughout the book, but as we got into chapter 5 especially, he begins to say, however, 
That means that if you are truly saved, that there is a fruit, a result of that salvation, that there should be life change. And if there's not life change, you need to be careful, you need to examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. That trusting in Christ produces change in us. And he continues along the same idea. So we've seen him preach against legalism, that you can be saved from the law, and then we've heard him preach against licentiousness. But that doesn't mean we can go on sinning. And as we've seen that, we, that brings us to today's text. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul writes this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are under, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So today in in our text, Paul further explains and unpacks some of the tensions we've seen as we've worked through this letter. There are a number of tensions within this text. And as we've spent our time in the book of Galatians, I hope, I pray that I have been clear in presenting a number of things. First of all, I pray that I have been clear in presenting that while works do not save us, salvation does indeed bear fruit. That is, that salvation produces works in us. Or as Paul says in Ephesians, while we are not saved by works, we are saved for works. That when God does a miraculous work in our life, that it produces change in us. And I've said many times that when I was 19 years old, that God picked me up and He turned me around and it produced change in my life. And praise God that that change is still happening. Because that change didn't happen all at once. In fact, I still have a lot of areas in my life that need to grow and change. And praise God that He is indeed doing that. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it in our own lives. But when you listen to somebody else, oftentimes they can see real, long-lasting change that God is doing in you over time. And I pray that you can look back and say, you know, I'm not where I need to be. But man, when I look back at where I was a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, I can see that God is working in me and through me. Secondly, I hope that I've been clear in teaching that while it is the work of the Spirit that bears fruit in our lives, that we are not unwilling or inactive participants in that venture. That it is God who produces the work, but we're not unwilling or inactive. That instead, God calls us to be an active part of the process of growth. That it is only by His grace, His divine enablement that we grow and we rely on His divine power, but He he accomplishes it through us also working with Him and through human effort. So as I said last week, yes, he, He uses Sunday school, but we need to set our alarm clock. Yes, He uses church, but we need to come to church. Yes, He uses small group. Not that those things are the important things in and of themselves. They're tools to which God grows us. So don't hear me say, because I've mentioned Sunday school several times, that Sunday school is the end-all, be-all. That's not the point. 
The point is that God uses, that He grows us, but He uses our effort in that too, that we come alongside, that we, we work with God to accomplish the purposes that only He can accomplish in our lives. And then thirdly, I hope that I have been clear and that you've understood that while we are called to fight sin and grow in our walk with the Lord, that we will never be completely free from sin and its effects this side of heaven. That's a battle that we just continue to fight. And that we fight daily. So we grow in holiness, but as we grow in holiness, we realize that we need to continue to fight and that the effects of sin still impact our lives. There are some in the Christian church who teach that you can achieve sinless perfection. That is not at all the case. Scripture teaches none of that. And if you want proof of that, I don't need to even go to the words of Scripture. All I need to do is tell you to stomp on that person's toe. right? And then when they respond to you, you will see that they have not achieved sinless perfection. The point is that every one of us is a sinner and we still struggle with the effects of sin with, an, with a heart, that, with the old man that is still residing in us even though we have been made new. So these ideas are essential to a proper understanding of the book of Galatians. And I pray that you understand them because they're essential to understanding Galatians. They're essential to understanding today's text. That's why I bring them up. But they're also essential in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, having a proper understanding of the gospel. So as we look at today's text, we see Paul continue to correct this false teaching that is presented by the Galatian believers presented to the Galatian believers, excuse me. And he presents them with nothing short of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and he does so with those key ideas in mind. So without further ado, let's look at the first point in our sermon outline. The first point is, number one, the believer's call. Number one, the believer's call. Look at verse 16. He says this, But I say, or as the NIV translates it, So I say... Or the King James Version says, this then I say. He's saying this in response to what he just said. He says, this then, in light of that, here's what I have to say. Listen up, is what he's saying. Pay attention. In light of what I just said, verses 13 and 15, which we looked at last week, he said, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't let this freedom in Christ Think that you can somehow serve your own flesh. Instead, you need to serve God and serve others with this freedom that you've, that you've been given. He says, it goes on in verse 14, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. In other words, if you're biting and devouring one another, if you don't love your neighbor, if you don't love your brothers and sisters, are you sure that you love God? That salvation results in a love for God and a love for others. It's just the natural result of being saved. And then he says in verse 16, So then, this then is what I say. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He says, in light of that, if you're saved, if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if His work, if He has come into your life and changed your heart, given you a new heart, taken out your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, then walk by the Spirit. And if you do so, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
And what is it that the flesh desires? We don't need to look much further than this chapter. For he goes on in verse 19, and he says, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And you read this list, and I've read this list so many times, and I think, these are pretty major things. Many of them, right? Idolatry, sorcery. I'm reading this going, ah, praise God, not struggling with that one at all, right? But then he says, but then he lumps in jealousy, envying, and then at the end he says, and things like these. In other words, this kind of thing, whatever the flesh desires that is opposed to God, the flesh, that is our human, our fallen human nature, desires to gratify itself even if that means acting in such a way that it's contrary to the ordinances of God. See, these deeds of the flesh, we like to think of them as these big, large sins. And he he lumps in these other things and says, no, no, the deeds of the flesh, there's so many things, like jealousy and even envy and other things like this, is what Paul says. You see, it's whatever is contrary to the ordinances of of God. That's what our flesh desires. It's the flesh that says, I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And if you do so, as you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now notice that Paul doesn't say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't have sinful desires. He doesn't say that at all. And he doesn't say this because sinful desires are part of living in a fallen world. We live in a world where we're constantly tempted. Jesus was tempted. Instead, he says, walk by the Spirit and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. In other words, you won't act upon your sinful desires. The desires may still come. The desires will come as a matter of fact, but by walking in the Spirit, you can have victory over them. That's what Paul says. So the question we need to ask is, great, but what does it mean to walk in the Spirit or to walk by the Spirit? Well, I would argue that it simply means following the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, or it means to submit to His authority and do as He would have you do, not as your flesh, your fallen human nature, desires. That's why Paul says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, in other words, you be let, you're led by Him, you're following Him. Now, by the way, I want to be cautious here. I'm not advocating some mystical approach to Christianity. And I think there's far too much of this in the church today, especially in the church in America today. Well, what is the Spirit calling me to do? What is the Holy Spirit asking me to do in such and such a situation? We're constantly asking those things. Even maybe more, uh, maybe we, we clean it up a bit and we say, what is God's will for my life? It's very dangerous to say that the Holy Spirit guides and directs us through this mystical way, through feelings and emotions. And Well, God told me. Not that God doesn't do those things, but I think we need to be very, very cautious 
of that. You see, the Holy Spirit guides and directs us to live in accordance with the Word of God. And I think it's, on one hand, it's very, it's very dangerous that we actually think, oh, I just, I just pray and I seek the Lord's will and I do whatever and I never open this book, I never pay attention to this book. And I can't tell you the number of people who come to me who don't read this through the week, right? And I'm not beating you up because I've struggled with this too. But they don't read this through the week and then they say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm seeking God's will and I've got this opportunity. And I say, uh, are you? Are you really seeking God's will? You let this thing sit and collect dust. God gave you His Word. He told you everything you need to know for life and godliness. You don't open it. And you come to me. It's dangerous to take this mystical approach and say, I, I, I'm seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance. You know, I think it's also dangerous in a church like this. I think it's dangerous that we come to a place where we say we worship the Father and the Son and then we worship the Bible. That we remove the Holy Spirit completely from the work, the process of, sal- of salvation and sanctification, of growth in Him. We don't worship the Father, the Son, and the Bible. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He is alive and active and working in us and through us and guiding us and directing us. However, it's in and through this book that God has made Himself known. For Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient. And ultimately, the Spirit guides us as we read the Scriptures. That we need the Holy Spirit enlightening us, showing us, guiding us as we read God's Word. That's why the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6. Because the Word of God is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us. I want to know what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. Open the Word is what He's telling you to do. And folks, this, this wasn't in my notes, this whole thing, right? But the, I say all this knowing that it's something that I need to grow in as well. This isn't just me preaching to you. The hardest thing about preaching is living in light of the text before you get up to proclaim the text. It's the hardest thing I struggle with every week. I can tell them to do this. Am I doing this? Do I understand this? Am I living this in reality? And you know what? Oftentimes the answer is no. Not, not perfectly. But I've got to come back to His Word and say, but this is His Word. And He'll use even me, a crooked stick, to, speak, to, to preach straight truth. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit guides us through His Word. So He says, walk by the Spirit. And if you do, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. You'll still have fleshly desires, but you won't live in light of them. You won't carry them out. Now, when Paul says walk, I want to underscore the importance of the fact that this word indicates not only the idea of active, ongoing engagement, but also that of forward progress. When we think of walking, we think of going somewhere. That there's progress that's involved. 
Thus, it's inappropriate to think that anyone should sit back and wait for God to miraculously grow them. There must be human effort. That's why Paul says, don't you know that those who run a race, everyone runs, but you're supposed to run in such a way that you want to win. That when you box, you, you don't do so without aim, but you box in such a way, not as beating the air, but instead you discipline your body and you, and you make sure that you're boxing purposefully. And then in Hebrews 12, if you read Hebrews 11, we have this great list of people who acted upon their faith. He says again and again, by faith, Noah built the ark. So Noah had faith, and he had, his faith resulted in action. He built the ark. By faith, Abraham left his homeland. By faith, Moses passed through the Red Sea. And he says this again and again, and after these many examples of faith resulting in action, he says this in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, in light of this, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that, he says, consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What a charge. He says, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Run with endurance. For Jesus authored your faith, and He will be the perfecter of your faith. He will carry you through. So He says, walk, run, box, but do so knowing that God is faithful And He's going to enable you through that process. What a promise. That we're called to act, and God promises that He will do it through us. That's really the beauty of the Gospel. The Gospel is, be perfect. By the way, you can't be perfect. So I died in your place, and took on your sin, and died in your place, took the punishment that you rightly deserved, so that you can be considered perfect. And by the way, I'm going to make you perfect. Through that, I'm going to continue to grow you and mold you and make you and make you more perfect until the day where you are completely perfected. You are righteous and taken up to heaven. I'm going to call you to do that which you can't do and then I'm going to do it for you. And then, by the way, I'm going to reward you for doing it. That's what the Scripture says. So the believer acts. He exerts effort. However, the one producing the results in the life of the believer is God Himself. That's why Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, as we'll see next week, and not the fruit of human effort. And why he uses the passive voice and says you must be led by the Spirit. He doesn't say you must follow the Spirit. He doesn't even say you need to walk in such a way. He says, he says let the Spirit lead you. He's the active one. You're the passive one. Yes, there's human effort in walking by the Spirit, but, no one, can, but one can be led by the Spirit but only through divine enablement. That's why Paul says, I labored more than any of them all, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. That there's grace poured into our lives as we walk, as we run, as we box. So having seen, number one, the believer's call, the believer's call to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, striving hard to follow after Him so that we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That is the believer's call. 
Now let's consider number two, the believer's conflict. Number two, the believer's conflict. Look back at our text. Having said in verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He now says in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. I struggled with this a little bit. Verse 17. First I, I read it and I thought, that makes sense, that's clear. And then I read it again and I thought, wait a minute, I think he's saying something different. And then I read it again and, I, and as I worked through this text, I began, praise God, I think God, God has worked so mightily in this week in me to help me see the struggle that is laid out in this text. This, this verse in particular is, seen a few different ways and understood a few different ways by commentators. The first way is that the things that you please refers to our fleshly desires. In other words, Paul is once again saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll have victory over your fleshly desires. And that's a true statement. In fact, I just spent the last 20 minutes expounding that fact, right? If you walk by the Spirit, you won't live out your fleshly desires. But that's not what Paul is saying here. So bear with me. The second thing that commentators say is that these fleshly desires, these things that you please, things you please, refers to good desires, the desires placed within the Spirit of God, within you by the Spirit of God. So are they your fleshly desires, the things you please, or are they the things that God has placed within you, good desires? In light of this, the New Living Translation translate verse 17 by saying this, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Great, right? And then he goes on, the, the text goes on and says, So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I don't think, however, this is what Paul is saying either. I don't think this is the case. I think the clear option is this third option, this third understanding, and that the things you please can refer to whatever desires you have as a believer, good or bad. In fact, I think the text is purposefully unclear to show it's just desire in general. In other words, Paul's focus here is on the opposition, the tension that exists between the Spirit and our flesh. You see, as a believer, the Holy Spirit resides within us, and He guides and directs us. But our fleshly nature, our sinful nature, doesn't like to follow. So we have this battle within. Conversely, our sinful nature seeks after sinful desires. And the Holy Spirit dwelling within us says, Oh no, 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 don't go there. Right? That's not a good idea. And again, we have this battle Within. So as followers of Jesus, when we want to do good, we don't always do it because our flesh gets in the way. And when our sinful nature rises up and we want to do evil, we don't always do it. Praise God. Because the Holy Spirit enables us to have victory. That we have, sometimes have good desires and that our flesh stops us in the, from doing those and we sometimes have evil desires and the Spirit stops us from doing those and there's this tension, this constant battle that takes place in our lives. So what Paul is driving at here is this conflict that exists in the life of the believer. 
He just got done saying, walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God give you a new life. Let the Spirit of God who lives within you and gave you a new heart, let it lead you, let Him guide you, let Him direct you, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. However, what He makes abundantly clear in verse 17 is that this does not mean that the old nature is no longer present. That the old nature is still present in the life of the believer. God has given us a new desire. The desire to please Him and live for His glory. He's also given us He's given us the Holy Spirit who lives in us and guides us and directs us, but the old desire still resides within us. Therefore, there's a battle that exists within. I think that is precisely what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. I think Romans 7 is a great parallel to verse 17 of Galatians 5. Romans 7 where Paul says, I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And he says, the good I want to do, I don't do it. And, and, and I practice the very thing I don't want to do. He's, I'm struggling. I don't do that which I do want to do, and I do that which I don't want to do. And he says, and I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. The inner man wants to, but the flesh is waging war in the members of my body. And that's when he says, who will deliver me from this? And many have argued that that was Paul pre-conversion, that he wrote that before he was a believer. I assure you that if Paul was anything like us, the struggle, the battle was real. I've never met a believer who said, I don't, I don't struggle over sin. I've met people who say, I don't struggle over sin. Let me be clear. I've never met a believer who says, I don't struggle over sin. If you don't struggle over sin, then you're not a follower of Jesus. That means you're content in your sin. Because I assure you, you are a sinner. You are one who continues to sin. You're not seen by God as a sinner. You're seen by God as a saint. But that old nature is still within you. Still waging war. So having seen, number one, the believer's call, that we're called to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, following after Him, so that we won't carry out the desire of the flesh. And having seen, number two, the believer's conflict, that there's a battle within us that wages war within us, a tug of war of sorts, whereby the Holy Spirit desires that which is good, and our fleshly self desires evil. Having seen that, now let's consider number three, the believer's confidence. The believer's confidence. It's discouraging to think. We don't always, where Paul says, he says, be led by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you'll receive victory. But the battle's going to be real and you won't always. That, sometimes you're going to continue to struggle. And that battle's going to be real in your life. So you won't always experience the victory over sin that you desire day in and day out. So in light of that, Paul says, verse 18, we see this point, the believer's confidence, verse 18, he says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says, this battle's real. It's a struggle. There's two forces working, working against each other. But, but, So you're not going to be perfect, Galatians. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is good news. This is incredibly good news. Paul's point in this whole letter is you are not justified by keeping the law. And now he says, and you're going to fail. Remember this term, under the law, is used in reference to using it as a tool, as a means for justification. Something that the law was never meant to do in the first place. So Paul's point is, you will fail, but you're not under the law. 
You won't keep the law, but you're not justified by it anyway. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So Paul, in Romans 8, 1 through 4, we read this last week, but it bears repeating. Romans 8, 1 through 4, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. The law couldn't do it, but God did it. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's the beauty of the Gospel. That though you will fail, God sent His Son to die so that you are not condemned by the law. That instead, you can walk, you can live, you can continue by the power of the Spirit to walk in His grace. So by way of review, we've seen the believer's call to walk out, the, 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 that's ultimately to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. They were called to strive hard to follow after Him so that we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's what believers are called to do. We're not called to live in a way that's contrary to God's decrees and will. We're called to strive after Him, to follow Him. And having seen not only the believer's call, but also the believer's conflict, that the, there's a battle that exists. That though we're called to do that, we don't always do it well. Because there is this old man still within us. There's this old nature. We still live in a fallen world. We still have the old self. And sometimes we fan into flame that sin within us instead of fanning into flame the power of God. He says, ultimately, that there's this conflict that exists and we don't always experience the victory over sin. But praise God that we've seen the believer's confidence. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That we are not justified by our own doing, but by, and not by the keeping of the law, but instead by His doing. We're justified by grace alone through faith alone. So as we walk by the Spirit, we do battle with our sin daily. We run the race with endurance. We fight the good fight. We pursue victory. Knowing that even though we may lose some of the battles, our Lord Jesus Christ has ultimately won the war. Praise God for that. So the question is, so how do we as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this text and live it out? And I almost didn't include this part. I thought, it's pretty self-explanatory, really. I mean, take those three points, right? The believer's call, fight fight sin, walk by the Spirit, don't let sin have victory, the believer's conflict, sin's still there, and you're still going to struggle, but we have confidence. We have confidence that Jesus did it. So praise God, He's going to carry us through to completion. The end, amen. See you next week, right? That's what I was thinking. But then I got thinking, well, I can't not say it because I say it every week. So how do we apply it? How do we live in light of it? Well, number one, we live out the call to walk by the Spirit. But how do we do that? That's really why we need to examine this. How do we live out this call to walk by the Spirit? It's really not that hard. Right? Read, pray, understand, apply, repeat. <laughs> I mean, really, that is, 
That is what we are called to do. Right? Read, pray, understand, apply, repeat. And yes, we do that not only as individuals, but also as a church, as a body. We do that in corporate, as a corporate entity. Walking by the Spirit, understanding the Spirit's will for your life, right? Starts by understanding what God has clearly revealed to us in His Word. So we look to His Word and we say, Spirit, open my eyes to see the truth that You have for me. That's number one. Walk by the Spirit. And number two, how do we apply it? Well, we do battle with the flesh. This is real. We confess. We repent. We make no provision. Right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Make no provision. We need to do serious battle with sin. Folks, I need to do serious battle with sin. Just this week, I was talking to Matt at work, and um, uh, I, don't, I don't remember even the, the content of what was going on, but my attitude was not good. It was very poor. And then he came and asked me some high and lofty spiritual question, and I'm thinking, I can't believe you would even ask me this, right? Because I am a wreck. Like, I am a traitor. I just, I, I'm not battling my sin well right now. We need to do battle with the flesh. We need to fight our human sinful desires. But we also do so knowing that we may lose some battles. That doesn't give us, that doesn't give us the excuse to go on sinning so that grace may abound. Paul says, no, may it never be that that would be the case. Instead, we fight. We fight hard. We run with endurance. We battle the flesh. But we know, thirdly, that we don't put confidence in our flesh. We don't put confidence in the fact that we're justified by the law, but that we're justified by grace. So that's what we need to do, is put our confidence in the fact that we are justified by grace, and that He who began a good work in us will carry it through to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Praise God for His promise. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You so much for the reminder of the Gospel. God, the power that You have to save us, to grow us, to change us, to carry us through to completion, and ultimately to give us that final rescue as we look forward to Your Son's return when He takes us home to heaven. God, I pray and ask that we would live in such a way that we would remember our calling, that we would remember that the conflict is real, that there is a battle, and that we need to wage war with our sinful nature. God, but that we can only do so through the strength that You provide, that we need to abide in the vine. And God, look to You to lead. God, give us grace to do that. And God, give us a confidence. Confidence knowing that while the battle is real, While battles may be lost, the war has been won. And God, that you are faithful. We praise you for that today. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.